On this episode of AvTalk, Indonesia finds the Lion Air 610 cockpit voice recorder. We look at the effects the U.S. government shutdown is having on aviation. And our favorite rooftop bar, that's also an airline, announces last call. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. Hello, Jason. Welcome back. Thank you. You've Where been, have I been? You've been doing some traveling, haven't you? I ha- Well, only a little bit. I went to Seattle because I was bored at work and booked a flight to Seattle. So as one does. Was, yeah, as one does. So I was there last weekend with our, our good buddy, Jeremy, who has been on the podcast more than his fair share of times. <laughs> he's he's currently uh, severing a suspension from the podcast. Yes. Out of my way to make sure I did not record a segment with him while out there. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. So you will not be hearing from him this time. Although I, I knew you were waiting for it, but it's not going to happen. I'll, I'll live. I'll live. So how was Seattle? It was good. I flew Alaska on a 737-900ER out there, a JetBlue A321 back. Uh, spent a little bit of time out at Boeing Field, and I mean like maybe an hour, and saw some pretty great stuff. We went to go see an AN-12, which is the first time I've ever seen one in person. And you, boy, can uh, you, you see hear it coming. before you see them. You see them and hear them, and it is loud and smoky and like nothing else I've seen in a very, very long time. And of course, a 737 that was landing just ahead of it blocked a lot of our shots, but that's okay, because of course... But it was really cool to see an AM-12. We also saw, this was a little odd, an ex-American Air MD-80 without the actual full American livery on its way up to, I think it was Fairbanks, to be converted to a freighter. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, Everett's, I think. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it, it's crazy to think that to Everett's Air Cargo, an MD-80 is like cut bleeding edge technology compared to their like dc3s and dc6s um it's just unbelievable to think that that is a new aircraft for them that it's somehow more efficient than whatever it's replacing yeah i mean alaska is a funny place to fly yeah saw some other cool stuff saw a lot of planes uh overhead on the approach to SeaTac. Notably, a uh, a parking lot full of a couple Jet Airways and Primera Air 737s for uh, basically in purgatory going to airlines that can't afford them or don't exist anymore at the moment. So in need of a, a new home. Yeah, the Jet Airways 73s were fully painted, ready to go, except Jet Airways is in shambles and can't afford them. And Primera no longer exists, but it didn't have the full livery. Only the uh, rudder and winglets were painted, but it's easy enough to tell who's who. Yeah. And I forget where the, the one that was, there was one that was fully painted, I think, that's going somewhere else now, but I can't I remember I know, where it's um, going to go. They had a couple 321 Neo LRs painted. I'm not sure about 7.3s though. Okay. I, for some reason, I thought there was one that was in full livery. Don't know. Either way, but I'm sure someone will negotiate a, a good price from Boeing is it, for those. Is it you? It is not Petchmo Air. No, it, uh, it is not me. Maybe I it's Baltia. It could be Baltia. We, we could be. We should we should check in on them. See how they're doing. Yeah. No. See see if everyone involved in that particular line has gone to jail yet, or has just been indicted. <laughs> Taking the plea deal. Yeah. Anyway, anything else in Seattle, or was it? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty quick trip. Yeah. Yeah. Saw our friend David Parker Brown from AirlineReporter.com went out to. A little airport out where he moved, I think the Bremerton National Airport, which is just kind of like a runway with some GA aircraft and a little diner. Not international airport. No, national national airport. airport. It is Bremerton National Airport and it has a neat little diner and the playground. You could do some plane spotting if you like PC-12s, I guess. I don't know. GA is not my thing, but uh, that was different. Nice. And then I flew home. Well, welcome back. Thank you. It was a another busy two weeks in the interim, and we have a lot to get through and some, well, I guess let's just get into it. Okay, go for it. Beginning with the cockpit voice recorder of Lion Air 610 has been found. That's good. The, Very good. The, yeah, the, the data recorder was found uh, weeks ago or I guess was it? Back, oh, back oh, in November, I mean, not long after months, the crash. Yeah. yeah, it was. it was found in November. 
It was found rather quickly, but the CVR, I believe they said, was, was buried in some mud. And they said, fortunately, it, the article that I read, and I'm, I'm not sure how accurate this article is, but it, it quoted the Indonesian military saying it was eight meters of mud. That's pretty deep. That's a lot of mud. Yeah. Fortunately, I've been told that the pinger on this particular CVR, which is the uh, little device that activates when it's underwater and sends out a, a signal to help recovery teams find it, was actually one of the 90-day variants. So it has a battery that would last 90 minutes rather than the typical 30 minutes, which was uh, as a days. result of several- days. Oh, sorry, days, not minutes. 90 minutes would not be very long. 90 days <laughs> helpful, rather yeah. than 30 days, which has been a result of several crashes in the past where 30 days just isn't enough to find the recorders. So that's good. That's progress. We'll see what they find on the CVR. Probably just a couple of confused pilots that don't know what their aircraft is doing. So I don't really know what they're going to find, but we'll probably hopefully never see the transcript anyway. But hopefully they can learn something more about what happened. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to find out what, what comes of it. And, and I'm, I'm just really glad they found it because it, it should give the investigators some really good insight into to what was happening on the flight deck, what the pilots were doing and when what they were hearing. I mean, because there's all sorts of oral warnings, obviously, for, for various things. And that could be a, a very good indication of what the pilots were reacting to. Right. So that, that will be very interesting. Glad it was found. I, I don't know when they're going to listen to it. I know they've the Indonesian uh, investigator said it was in good shape. So that that's always you know because when you know they're they're supposed to be indestructible, but they can be destroyed in in certain you know yeah destructible instances. is uh, has its limits. Yeah. So th this this one is is in good shape, and, and hopefully they'll listen to it soon and and be able to go on from there. And I, I assume we'll we'll have a. Another report, or, or perhaps we'll wait, have to wait until the uh, the final report. But following that one closely, as always, should we shut things down? Boo! That transition—it's getting messy. For yeah, aviation. we're in day four billion eight hundred million of the U.S. government shutdown. <laughs> I don't know, I actually know how many days. Where are we? Twenty-eight now. I, I, I think we're almost to a month. Yeah, we're almost to a month because our government can't uh, get its crap together. But that seems to be, you know, a theme around the world these days. Uh, UK, looking at you. But our government here in the US has been fully shut down for about a month. Well, not fully. It's partial government shutdown. And less so now that they've recalled literally half the federal employees that were once furloughed. But it's having some major impacts uh, specifically on the aviation sector, specifically the TSA Air traffic controllers, FAA, uh, miscertifications, all sorts of things, specifically the TSA, they are all uh, technically essential. They are being forced to work without being paid. And I can't help but think I'd be pretty grumpy if that were the case with me. The same with air traffic controllers. They are all going to, going to work, doing their thing, being professionals and keeping us safe in the air and on the ground at airports, but they're not getting paid, are they? No. And I mean... and. It's it strikes me as kind of the last thing you would want to do is is create more stress and anxiety for someone whose job is already very stressful. I mean, the TSA job is kind of thankless to begin with, and they're standing there not being paid. Well, and they you, don't always do all that much to be thanked, but they are necessary. Yeah, I'm just saying, like you're not starting from a, a position of grandeur, and then you've got the air traffic controllers who are who are basically you know in a an extremely stressful job. And not being paid, and that just adds a level of of stress that I I don't personally think the national airspace needs. Oh, but it, it, it sure really, doesn't. It's been very interesting to see who who's kind of stepped in and and helped out and and things like that. There's been a really neat thing with Canadian air traffic controllers sending lunch to their American counterparts, and I think the Australians got involved today. So it, it's been pretty neat. Uh, there was one flight down from I think Toronto into New York today where the, the controllers actually flew down. They, they picked up lunch somewhere in near Toronto and then or somewhere in Ontario and, and flew it south to drop it off for the controllers. Which in, is pretty in the great. Tower. So I mean, you know, thing, things like that, a little, a little bit of a feel good thing. But I mean, there, there's a lot going on with, I mean, there are planes that can't be delivered. You're going to be personally affected, it seems, uh, by this uh, 
by the shutdown if it drags on you know much longer at all in the sense that delta is not going to be able to put the c-series into service and maybe there's still a slight on chance. time on uh, time because they, they've had to re the faa has recalled safety officials don't know to what degree if they're clearing out the backlog of paperwork uh, that airlines need filled out or if they're actually certifying aircraft but i know delta has a 7-3 that they can't uh, put on the line. I believe American the same. And they're n- Delta's not very unlikely going to be able to put the A220 or XC series aircraft into service on January 31st. And I'm going to be very, very upset if that happens because I got a pretty good fare and booked it way in advance. But aside from that, I've flown a number of times since the shutdown started uh, down to IAD and back in Seattle and back. And I haven't had any issues with the TSA, thankfully, uh, or air traffic control outside the normal JFK nastiness. Two and a half hour ground delay in a CRJ 200 will make anyone grumpy. But this has got to end. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's some other things too. It's, you know, there's pain fields opening its passenger terminal, and that may not happen on time. I'm a little hesitant to include Southwest's. Hawaii service because that yeah, seems like well, it's just another been, month. It's just been going on forever, and and so, but I mean, the, you know, gaining ETOPS approval for their for their aircraft is is not going well. Silver's ATR seventy two service has been postponed, and there's all sorts of other things that in like you know certifications and things like that that don't get processed, and and so you start running into to people who are in the industry, pilots and you know air traffic controllers and all sorts of certifications that you know could be impacted yeah it's it's not great it's a a manufactured issue on the border shutting down the government creating actual safety issues in the ground and in the air which is not an outcome anyone wants to see yeah so hopefully this gets resolved and the government gets reopened soon and and things return to to normal because it's setting aside i guess any you know political stance on this it's just there's a lot of people that are, you know, doing a job for for nothing right now that should be getting paid. Yeah, if if you're listening and you're from the TSA or ETC at the FAA or any other part of the FAA, and you're being forced to work without getting paid, yeah, I know you're getting IOUs and they will pay you eventually, but that's not great for everyone who may live paycheck to paycheck. Thank you for working and showing up, and write your congressman. I don't think that'll do anything, but do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So Boeing and Embraer had their joint ventures approved by the Brazilian government. And so now they're on their way to, I guess, the realignment of the super duopoly or or whatever we want to call it now. Yeah, I think Boeing took 80% of Embraer. 80% of Embraer's commercial division and services. Embraer keeps 20%. And then there's a separate joint venture around the KC-390. Right. That would be the uh, air-to-air retanker, uh, refueler tanker. General purpose lifting aircraft. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it does a lot. You could tell I know a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> Jason is the military expert, in case yeah, no one could like tell. Yeah, it's like the A330 MMRT thing from Airbus. It could do a lot of stuff. <laughs> So that got approval. So that brings, I mean, kind of as we, I mean, we've, we've talked about the, the kind of moves in the industry, especially when we've had John Ostrauer on the program talking about, you know, how, how things kind of match each other. And, and this seems to be the, the next matching, you know, approval of the next match where Boeing and Embraer team up with, with Airbus and Bombardier on the other side. So I, I guess you know the the only logical conclusion is that Airbus and and Boeing team up and there's just one plane that everybody flies. Yeah, I no, and I hope not. I I don't think so. No, but I I, don't I, think do so. we know how much uh, Boeing paid for their chunk of Bombardier? Uh not Bombardier. Wow. Uh Embraer? We probably do. I don't know if can, but do you th- do you think it was as screaming as a deal no, as Airbus no. got for Bombardier which was Are like a dollar? It was a do- they didn't pay anything. It was a dollar. 
Did, the, did Boeing pay 50 cents for, for no, no, uh, Embraer? No, they paid more than that. No, I'm sure they paid more. So it was quite interesting. So the, the whole progression is basically Airbus, uh, Boeing forced Bombardier into a position where they needed to sell to Airbus, who bought it for a dollar, which in reaction made Boeing need to buy Embraer, which probably did not come for one dollar. I'm so really they, looking forward to somebody's book. On this uh, era they, of uh, aircraft manufacturing, they meaning Boeing really, really screwed themselves over with this. They created a situation where Bombardier couldn't compete, so Airbus snatched them up for basically a song, and that made Airbus, uh, Boeing, have to retaliate and, and pick up Embraer. And there, there are too many names here; I'm getting them all mixed up. But we, you're, we you're should, right; it's probably we'll, we'll put together some sort of flow. Chart. It's probably all just going to be the the Boeing Airbus joint venture sometime in our lifetime. And and they'll all be you know electric balloon planes or something like that. Oh, did you see the the video of that uh, part free or moving parts free little airplane thing the I, other day? I, I did. I mean, it was neat. But I, you know, all of these things are, I think, further away than anyone really imagines. But it was neat. Yeah. Well, it's only a matter of time until Elon Musk enters the industry and and, oh, and blows great. everything up. But well, well, hopefully not. But. We'll see. <laughs> we'll put a link to the moving parts free airplane in the show notes because it is a neat video. Yeah. So there it is. Officially, Embraer belongs to Boeing. Uh, Bombardier C-Series belongs to Airbus. And there's the ACR belongs to Airbus, I guess, too. Who? What What other independent commercial airframer are, is out there? You've got the, the Mitsubishi MRJ, sort of, kind of. Kind of. Kind of, it exists, sort of. The Russian, the Sukhoi Superjet, and kinda. you've got kind of, uh, and you got the Chinese stuff. The, you have the Comex C nine one nine, C nine one nine, and the the, the, the ARJ. Well, kind of. I mean, I guess kind of. I mean, but, I I can also super glue together an MD eighty and a CRJ and make an airplane. Well, that sounds like it would be a good podcast on its own. It's a lot of super glue, but they did it. <laughs> yeah. And well, and, and you have the the Chinese, you know, the the nine two nine, as well. Yes. So, and which is you know in still in progress, but they're all little, but they have a lot of potential. Except yeah. the MRJ, there's no potential there. Yeah, I'm calling I mean, it now. They, I mean, they, yeah, we we would be good to to see them succeed, but I don't I don't think we're going to see that. No, but will they rename the EJet series like Airbus? co-opted the c-series will boeing rename the e190 family I mean, or the that, e170 that's been that's been the question and and then it becomes what do you rename it because one would assume that the nma will be the 797 and right. then you're you're out of sevens basically do we start so over do you do you start at sevens do you go back to threes do you go up to eights i mean you know i feel like you could just leave it yeah, the the uh, should be done with it. The the Boeing E one ninety has a certain ring to it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it, but it's it could still just be the the Embraer E one ninety. Yeah, but why spend all that money acquiring a brand when you can't make it your own? The Embraer E one ninety by Boeing. Ooh, I think you got it. It's like a clothing line or something. We'll figure it out. Jason and I are on it. We'll figure it yep. out, and and we'll have an answer for Boeing by the end of the week. Will we? I probably not. No, I don't think so. We can try though. Sure. I Go mean, for what it. would you? What would you do? Let me ask you that. What would you do? I don't know. I'm not paid nearly enough to figure these kind of things out. Okay, that's yep. that's fair. Yep. All right. Yeah, then. I don't know. It's it's a legitimately good question, and I guess we'll see what they what they do. If they, if they do nothing, we have our answer. <laughs> I, I think we'll have our answer either way. Yep. But but that's fair. I think I think at this point, with the renaming of the C series into the A two twenty, I think Boeing would be I don't know, I think maybe wise to just leave it. Maybe. And we'll just see. Be, it's a joint venture. I mean it's you know, they can just leave it and, and do their best to, to sell yeah, it. That, and, that's and a, a good point to clarify that this is a joint venture between Boeing and Embraer, technically, while Bombardier sold off the C series program to Airbus. In its entirety, 
I believe, if my details are correct. So the A220 firmly belongs to Airbus, while Embraer is still technically its own independent unit from Boeing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And we're a number of caveats to, to get Brazilian governmental approval of the joint venture, and including, I think, they at the last moment, they added assurances that there would still be jobs in Brazil that would stay in Brazil or new jobs that would be created in Brazil so that they could have you know, kind of more into incentive to stay in stay in Brazil and, and maintain uh, the follow-on to, to keep the, the joint venture kind of a, a joint venture. Should we celebrate now? Should we say we told you so? Or should we just give it to everyone straight? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm almost a little sad about this one. A little bit. A okay. tiny bit. A tiny bit. A tiny but, bit. Uh, a tinge of bittersweetness. Everyone's favorite rooftop bar is calling last call. Uh, ben Smith, Air France's new CEO, basically the first thing he did was come in and say, what the hell is June? And rightfully so, took a look at it, said, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand this. Investors don't understand this. Employees don't understand this. Passengers don't understand this. We're getting rid of it. And that is official. June will no longer be a thing in due time. We don't have a date. It's kind of funny because they just basically finished repainting aircraft into June livery. But it will be rolled back into Air France mainline. So the little airline that no one understood and no one cared for and nobody wanted is no longer a thing. Yeah, I mean, it's the in the statement that Air France put out last week, they, they said the brand was difficult to understand from the outset for customers, for employees, for markets, and for investors. Literally everyone. No one knew what this was. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I can only... I can only imagine how much money they spent figuring this out. And and for the, for the first time last week, I actually, I don't know why I did this to myself, but I went back and I read through all of the marketing materials from the launch. Oh, you poor thing. And it makes even less sense when you read all of that. Would you care <laughs> to read some of it to us? I mean, it, it's just, it was always... It's a rooftop bar. A state and they of explained mind. Explained why it was a rooftop bar, and it's a you know a state of mind. It's a fashion brand. It's you know all of these things, and I mean you, you get to the point where you're, you're thinking to yourself that they can't possibly be serious. Oh, and they were. So Cranky Flyer had a good breakdown of what the hell happened to June. And basically, it's like what Air Canada did with Rouge. They wanted to have a division of Air France that is lower cost, so meaning you pay your staff reduced wages. Basically, uh, Rouge pays their pilots and in-flight crew less. But this is France, and it doesn't really go that easily like it did in, in Canada, even if it wasn't really easy. But the flight crew never agreed to be paid less. So they were operating this airline with an airline to lower costs that didn't actually have lower costs. So there was essentially no point. And it wasn't like you could pick to fly June. If you wanted to fly uh, from Paris to Barcelona on Air France, you ended up on June. It wasn't You didn't choose it. It chose you. So it just didn't make any sense at all. It ended up with uh, subfleets that if you have one A340 at a service, Air France had to swoop in and ah, swoop, get it, WestJet, <laughs> and, and basically operate rescue Ooh. flights with their own 777s. That was totally organic, by the way. Uh, it, it just did not make any sense. It does not work like Rouge where it, it is actually lower costs to, to maintain the operation. June served no purpose. And all, up until, I guess, uh, AIX Hamburg in, last year, they were still marketing it like this is our incubator for new ideas. It's great. And they must have known the whole time, this is a terrible idea. June is a simple and optimistic name. June is above all a color. What? What? I'm, I'm reading from the marketing materials. June is an A340-300 that operates to Cape Town because mainline is too expensive. That that doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it, it really doesn't. And and so this whole thing with the, the, this also an airline branding just, just never 
it didn't connect because and we've talked about this before is that you could and you just said you couldn't choose june june chose you and you can't market an entire and it's not even like when you look back at i think i think the press coverage was a little unfair towards june in the sense that it was a millennial airline. It wasn't supposed to be just a millennial airline. It was supposed to be this thing that millennials might like more than something else. But they were just trying to be this thing. Well, the the thing millennials hate the most are things marketed towards millennials. So this was destined to fail. Yeah. and But I mean, the, the whole point is that you know you, you really couldn't, even if they wanted to be an incubator, even if they wanted to be this you know, kind of special brand within the Air France family where, you know, you went and you got cool stuff and if it really worked well and it was amazing and everybody loved it, they could roll it out to the rest of the... But they didn't do anything innovative. Right. That, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, That would have been a good idea. If right, they said, we're going to fly some planes on these routes and we're going to do new stuff and you're going to be a guinea pig when you fly on this airline. If, if you want to fly between, you know, one flight a day between... You know, Paris and, and London is going to have this, or or you know, Paris and Cape Town on an A three forty. It's going to be weird stuff because we have no idea what we're doing, and you're a guinea pig. I would have actually booked that flight. Hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting, but that's not what they did. No, so, that's not uh, what they did at all. Yeah. If, if nothing else, it it finally forced them to refurbish their awful A three forty three hundred. So that's that's good. Now I guess the A350s that were destined for June, which are due relatively soon, will go back to Air France mainline. So that's also a nice benefit. And that's all she wrote. Yeah. And the communication that they put out last week said that they were still studying how to do this. So it'll be interesting to see how long June is actually around. And I mean, like you mentioned when we first started talking about this, they just finished painting the planes. I uh, yeah, I assume the end of we'll November. See, the we'll last see one the was June painted. livery around for years to come. I think so. I mean, it, it's it's not going to go away very quickly, but it, it it will go away. We hardly knew ye, <laughs> and yet so much ink was spilled and digital penning was done. Just well, for, the, I mean, the media loves to 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 ponder about what millennials killed now, and millennials killed the millennial airline, birthed Fine. it and killed it. Done. Fine. So moving on. <laughs> so as we begin the new year, we always end the previous year because that's how calendars work. And so we'll, <laughs> that was insightful. <laughs> I, yeah, I do what I can. So let's look back at last year and see. Kind of what Boeing and Airbus got up to with uh, planes delivered, orders taken, and uh, what's coming up this year, shall we? Yeah. So who won? I did. You did? Yes. That seems unlikely. Oh. Boeing won. By how many? By six airplanes. Six airplanes. So at, at this point, I'm almost ready to say who cares who won because six airplanes is like a rounding error at the end of the day here, but good for both of them. Yeah, it was a, a very good year for deliveries. Orders, less so. Well, uh, I mean, there is the fact that Airbus gained exactly 747 net orders in 2018. So that's pretty cool. That, that I mean, that is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I mean, so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty cool number. But I'll break it down for us real quick. Deliveries for Airbus A320 COs 240. Neos, 386. A330 COs, 46 were delivered. Neos, three delivered. I think those were the three for tap that squeaked in at the end of the year. Just, Nine, yeah, just under the wire. Just under the wire. 93 A350s and remarkably 12 A380s were delivered. Yeah. And somehow there were nine orders placed for the A330 CO, which is surprising to me. It was surprising to me as well. I mean, but I, I guess you know that that bridge continues to to go, and and you know who knows how what what screaming deal they got on those to right. To oh, and also them. there were twenty A two twenty deliveries from uh, I think it was June forward, <laughs> June one hundred thirty five orders for the A two twenty as well, which is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, since since Airbus took over the A two twenty program, it's you know the the orders have kind of come in quite a bit bigger than they were. Right. Now, on the Boeing side, 
324.73NGs, the uh, current version that's being phased out soon. And a couple, a couple uh, I, I just want to jump in and say a couple of interesting NG deliveries to note. The last NGs for both Southwest and Ryanair, the two largest 737 yeah. NG customers of all time. And so they took their last NGs last year and... Well, Southwest is already flying the Max, uh, but Ryanair will take their first Max this year. Momentarily, I think it's already out of the out of the hangar doors. Yeah, I think. It's, it's almost ready to go. Yeah. So, three hundred twenty-four NGs were delivered. Two hundred fifty-six of the Max. So, while Airbus is delivering more Neos and Co's, Boeing is still delivering more NGs than Maxes. Six seven four sevens were delivered. I'm assuming those are. All freighters at this Those point. Those were all freighters and all two UPS. Yes. Uh, 27 767s, though 10 of those were tankers. The rest were all freighters, I believe. 48 777s were delivered, including Emirates' last 777 before they move over to the 777X, I believe. And 145 787s were delivered. Yeah, and uh, so I mean, and quite the backlog as well. I mean, still with the nearly six thousand A three twenty Neos in the backlog, and nearly five thousand seven three Max in the backlog. Yeah, so in that's, total, uh, Airbus has seven thousand five hundred seventy seven aircraft in the backlog. Boeing has five thousand nine hundred fifty one. So, Airbus has a, a pretty sizable lead in the backlog, but that can change in the snap of a finger at the Paris Air Show. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that that'll be that'll be interesting to see uh, what happens, and and also what happens with the the A two twenty deliveries or not deliveries uh, orders this year, and to see if anybody else picks those up, and and there have been a couple airlines that already in, in the year have have order increased their orders or ordered uh, made fresh orders. So that's um, yep. So they're they're going back and forth, but it, it's remarkable that they both delivered. Almost the same number of aircraft within the year. Yeah. Which oh, is... I don't think we actually said the actual numbers. It was 800 for Airbus and 806 for Boeing were the, the delivery figures for right. this year. And then 747 orders for – and the, these are net orders. Um, so that this includes all of the, the washing that airlines do to their previous orders. Um, so you know there were 893 net orders – for for Boeing, and that includes a negative twenty four in the seven three seven NG column. Right. I don't know if those were converted to Max or just lost orders as a whole, but the Max is taking over quickly. Yeah, I mean, and we uh, what we learned yesterday that uh, United was an undisclosed customer, and they released that at, at their earnings call yesterday. They picked up twenty four. 737 MAX and four 777-300ERs. Yep. So a little top-up order. Speaking of United, they put their first 787-10 into service a couple times last week. Yeah. <laughs> that was – I. part of me really loves that they did that and they put it – you know, had an inaugural flight like I think what, four or five times just to mess up all of the media coverage. Yeah, they did have one official first flight where they sure. handed out certificates. Sure. But it had by the time they actually had the real first flight of the 7810, people had already flown it like five times and reviewed it five times already. I, I think I think one of the people who was flying to the start of the official inaugural flight was actually swapped to that aircraft to go there. So that they got a, a pre-inaugural re review look at it. So. Hey, that happens. Uh, you know these things happen, and and what I mean, you know, you can't make money if the plane's sitting around, so you might as well put it in the service, I guess. That's true, and just pass out certificates everywhere you go. Should we take a quick break, catch our breath, and then come back? And we've got a lot of little bitty things that have happened over the last couple of weeks that we can work our way through. Okay, all right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. We've got a little bit to get through. Let's start with the big stuff, shall we? Okay. The engines. The really on, big stuff. The really the biggest stuff there's ever been. 
the 777X now has two GE9X engines mounted on it. And that will be the first airframe to fly. That is big. I'm super excited about this. When do they do the first flight of this thing? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Good. Thanks, Ian. I'm here as a font of wisdom and source of extremely valuable information. Maybe Anytime. not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But someday the Triple Seven X will conduct I, its I first don't flight. Know, I don't know if there's a, a if there's a date yet. Uh, no. I haven't seen it. Uh, don't they, know. They haven't they haven't rolled out the aircraft yet. So well, if the government keeps closed, it doesn't matter anyway. Because it'll never fly. There's but that. It's one massive freaking engine on this thing. Well, two. Actually, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> Figuratively speaking, it's one. Yeah, really I mean, it can operate on one. It just shouldn't. The pictures of the engine, the GE9X mounted on the the 747, are just mind-boggling to me. They're ridiculous, it, and it and makes I the know 6s look tiny. And I know the old lore that 737 was basically the same diameter of a GE90 on a 300ER. Well, John Ostrauer, who friend of the podcast, posted a comparison of, of the 7.3 fuselage compared to the 777X engine, and I'm pretty sure he said it could actually just kind of fit in. Slide right in, yep. It could slide right in the 777X engine. Not that you should do that. You shouldn't do that. That's a very expensive mistake, but you can. Yeah, I, I feel like that's one of those things we don't necessarily need to caution somebody on, but I'm glad you did. Oh, people drive things into airplanes all the time. Twice this week, in fact. Yeah, someone drove a poo truck into a JetBlue 321. And the day before that was, I think, uh, a water truck into an American A320. Oh, and that Ethiopian 787, what was it, in uh, Oslo? Was yeah, it? well, that, that didn't happen this week, but it got fixed this week. Yeah, it, it finally were, took back off. Yeah, the, the Ethiopian 787 in Oslo and the Air India 787 in Stockholm right. got so fixed. So it is not completely unprecedented that someone will accidentally drive an airplane into a thing that they're not supposed to drive it into. Certainly not. it happens at JFK like every hour. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's certainly not unprecedented, but I, I think a purposeful meeting of a seven three seven and a and a GE nine X might be outside the realm of not possibility but probability. But now I, I want to see it. Well, then okay, yeah, we'll see what we can do. But that got mounted. The engines are on. The airplane needs to roll out, and the wingtips need to be folded down before it can fly. Cool. So that'll be interesting. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, yeah. it happens. It's uh, the uh, first first flight of a of a new aircraft that I'm actually kind of interested in in a while. Everything else has just been stretches of a stretch recently. I, I thought is, the the Beluga XL was pretty cool. Yeah, but it, it was very, I guess, very low key. It just kind of happened one day. It, it was, yeah. I mean, if you weren't paying attention to when it was going to happen, it, it just kind of all of a sudden one day was was flying. Right. And the 777X is not a clean sheet design. It's not a brand new aircraft, but it's kind of sort of new. It's got new bits and pieces. And the new bits and pieces are really interesting. Yep. I mean, you've got the, the, the giant engine, you've got the folding wing tips, and, and you've got some other really interesting, you know, composite structures that, that are new. So I, I think, you know, it, it, yeah, not clean sheet, but it's new stuff. Right. Let's go with some of the news that, that kind of broke uh, t today is that Norwegian's closing some crew bases. They are. They are cutting costs left and right and then left again and then right again. And this time it's a bunch of crew bases, Fort Lauderdale, Stewart, to name a few in the US alone. Um, I think Barcelona was one of them. I don't have the list in front of me, but it was a substantial amount of crew bases that they're closing to try to cut costs to you know keep flying. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's always an important thing if you're an airline. Yeah, it, it's actually essential. Go figure. Yeah. So Norwegian's been doing some other cost-cutting moves recently, uh, restricting lounge access for premium passengers, selling alcohol in premium where it used to be included. But they're, they're little bits and pieces that add up to a bit more over time. But if it helps keep them afloat, it's probably good. Yeah. Well, and in the same vein is there's a lot less wow. I'm not. I'm no longer wowed. No, uh, in you, Chicago, there is I'm no, no longer more wowed. wow in Chicago. 
So yeah, Chicago, among other locations, WoW has said we're, we're just not flying there anymore. No, we're back to WoW's original or close to their original North American expansion, limited to Detroit, Boston, Newark, and Baltimore, BWI, I believe, is the four cities. Pretty sure about Boston. So they're they're cutting back a ton of routes that they kind of threw a dart at to see if it would work. All the A330s are gone. JFK is gone. Dallas is gone. Or they go to Los Pittsburgh Angeles, at some point. Los San Angeles, Francisco. San Francisco. All these ridiculous routes that they really overexpanded with are, are poof, gone. Yeah, I mean, if, and if that helps them, then so be it. Yep, and remember, Iceland Air is is no longer buying them. They they have potential investment from the Indigo Group, but that is by no means a done deal. They can still go bust any day, but for now, they seem to be really, really refocusing on on their uh, core, and they should be around day to day for a little bit. Good for them. They were really on. They were really on the brink of destruction for a while. And hopefully they're they're no longer on the brink of destruction and, and can figure out uh, what they're up to and, and, and keep going. Earlier in the week, an Ethiopian cargo 777 was intercepted by two F-16s in Indonesian airspace. That's never good. Because they did not have an overflight permit. You need that. You do need that. And it brought up some interesting things that that I wasn't entirely well versed in. Share it with us. What? Well, so, so the the Ethiopians, their not argument, but their rationale for these things was that they were operating under Article Five of the the Chicago Convention, which basically says that that non scheduled service, you don't need an overflight permit for non scheduled service, and that it, through through a friendly nation. And so I asked a person who deals with kind of scheduling and permitting and things like that. And they said, the airlines that I've worked for have never used Article 5 in this way. Countries don't tend to follow it. And Indonesia is not the place I would want to test it. So I guess flyer beware. It, it seems like, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. In, Indonesia has, uh, you know, reading more about this and there was a, a post in Ops Bulletin today, which is, you know, kind of a... a industry publication geared towards people who are in airline and, and aviation operations. And there was an interesting post about how this is not the first time that this has happened. It's been an ongoing issue in the past. And in February, there was a letter sent to a British registered aircraft from there, the Indonesian embassy to the British embassy in Singapore, which is What's interesting here is that Singapore manages the airspace for Indonesia. So they, they provide the air traffic control for this airspace, but it's technically Indonesian airspace. So it's very interesting. And, and so they sent a, a, a sternly worded letter in diplo speak, uh, very diplomatic languages. And, and it closes with the embassy of the Republic of Indonesia avails itself of this opportunity to renew to the British High Commission in Singapore the assurances of its highest consideration. I have no idea what that sentence huh? means. But Indonesian authorities basically said, don't do it again. Oh, okay. And so that was kind of the, the slap on the wrist. And the biggest thing is that they'll send up F-16s and make you land. Yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. So I guess be on the lookout for that if you're, if you're overflying Indonesia. Okay, then. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. You having your nose to the ground brought this to my attention. And I think we can just simply say, don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, drugs are bad, okay? Don't carry drugs on your flight uh, across international borders, especially yeah. if you're a flight attendant. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, it may seem like a good idea, but you shouldn't do it. Don't do it. No. And so now two Melindo Air flight attendants are under arrest by Australian officials, uh, along with uh, six other people as part of a six-month operation Codenamed Operation Sunrise. Hmm. That, what a cheerful name for I such know, a, a I know. serious they, thing. Is, isn't that the same name Qantas is using for ultra, ultra long haul flights? It, it is. And I'm not <laughs> sure if there's any. 
<laughs> is Quanta is, is saying you're going to need drugs to make it through? Uh, I mean, probably, yeah, but uh-huh. different kind of drugs, I hope. Eight kilograms of heroin worth 14.5 million uh, Australian dollars, 10.5 million US dollars, and a further six kilograms of meth uh, with a street value of 4.6 million US dollars. You shouldn't Uh, do that. Oh, wait, there's more. A half a kilo of cocaine, a Porsche sports car, and a significant quantity of cash. Ah, okay. Yes, don't do that. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Yeah, not good. So let's close up with this is the 10th anniversary of the what has been, I think, aptly termed the Miracle on the Hudson. It was yesterday, the, the 15th of January. In 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 struck a flock of geese, lost both engines, and Captain Sullenberger and First Officer Skiles safely ditched the aircraft into the Hudson River, and everyone survived uh, five serious injuries out of 155 people on board the aircraft. So 10 years later, it's no less impressive. Yeah. It's almost kind of like a a holiday here in New York. It's taken, I don't want to say pretty seriously, but everyone knows about it. We have these uh, advertising Wi-Fi kiosks all over the street, and they were mentioning it as well. It was all over the news, and it's still a pretty big deal here in New York which is cool that, that, that an incident like that uh, is a happy ending. And we rem- we don't usually remember happy endings. So that's great. And American Air, that who purchased, or I guess it was, I'm not going to say American purchased US Air, but American is now <laughs> inherited the, the US Airways The brand that legacy. survived that merger. Yeah. The, I, I will get some flack if I say American bought US because let's not get into it. But they celebrated with the flight crew, a bunch of passengers, uh, air traffic controllers that operated the flight, and they put out an update about where that crew is today. And today, Captain Sullenberger and flight attendant Welsh retired back in 2010 when it was still US Airways. Flight attendant Dent retired from American in 2017. And actually, one the last flight attendant, Dale, I, I believe it's Dale, retired on that day yesterday on the 10th anniversary. There is one crew member left from that flight that is still flying, and that would be First Officer Jeffrey Skiles, who is still with American, and he is now a Chicago-based 787 pilot. Interesting. Yeah. So I had no idea that he was not only still with American, but is over on the 787 now and he's in and out of your home airport all the time yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have to to see if i can i I don't know how i would time that but that would be cool to to be on a flight with him yeah so the next time you're on an american 787 listen carefully when they announce the crew because there's a chance not a good chance but a chance that one of your pilots up front is of us 1549 fame yeah so pretty damn cool yeah, no, it, very cool. And I think one of the events they had down at the the Carolinas Aviation Museum, which I was reading up on because of the 10th anniversary yesterday, and they're, they're actually closing that museum because they need to move it. What? Uh, it just got there. Well, I know. So to become compliant with certain FAA rules about where things can be placed on an airfield, they have to move the museum. So they're apparently you can't. It's it's one of those things where like permanently occupied structures can't be near certain things. I think they they didn't really do you know they didn't go into which part of the FAA regulations were necessitating the move, but because of certain FAA regulations, they're moving the museum in in which the the A three twenty sits and, and some other really cool stuff. So they're hoping they're closing down soon and they're hoping to reopen shortly i guess on the other side of the airfield uh closer to the highway exit so that people can actually get there pretty easily uh, it doesn't matter the faa is closed now so <laughs> so the museum should stay open yeah and let's close the show with a small remembrance for a large man in between last episode and this episode southwest airlines founder and titan of the aviation industry herb kelleher died he was 87 years old yeah, and there was a lot of outpouring from all across the industry. Many, many major airports put out uh, nice, kind words on Twitter. Even Ryanair was, was spoke praiseworthy of him. 
that he was basically the the granddaddy of low cost airlines. He shook up the industry. He changed it for the better. Uh, Southwest still to a degree is is an innovator and a, a, a disruptor, less so these days, but Southwest in its original incarnation, but he seriously disrupted the industry and, and a lot of airlines that are around today actually thanked him for their existence today. Yeah, I mean, I mean everything that he did as he got Southwest off the ground, as, as the airline grew, I mean, was just set the stage for, you know, Ryanair and and all of these other low-cost carriers, you know, in the US and around the world that just I mean, there wasn't it didn't exist beforehand. And and the battles he fought are, you know, pretty interesting as, as far as, you know, kind of the the legal history of the US airline industry is, you know, owes owes a large in the, in the latter half of the 20th century owes a large part to to him. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I believe Ryanair actually said, "Without her, there would be no Ryanair today." So he had a massive impact on the uh, aviation industry that you could probably chalk up there with uh, the Wright brothers. Perhaps is maybe a bit of a stretch, but it, it's a big, big impact. And he just loved doing it. Well, I mean that—that's the thing, and and you know, I I met him once, very very briefly, but you could see that he just liked doing this. Right. There are some airline executives out there that do genuinely love the industry, but many of them these days are there solely to well sell their soul to Wall Street and and keep the airline profitable and investors happy. And you can tell they they have no joy in it. They don't give a crap about the the joy of flying or or really what. A man like Herb experienced, but he was uh, an original. And he will be missed. Yes. So that is episode 49. Episode 50 up next. We have so many things planned for episode 50. We have 50. balloons. We have streamers. We have noisemakers. And and there will be cake. Where Where is all of this stuff? I thought you were getting it. No. No. Oh, boy. No. There, okay. There's nothing. We did nothing. Back to the drawing board. Yep. We'll have something. I'm going to go get a sandwich. <laughs> that works. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show or if you don't like the show or if you just want to tell Jason what kind of sandwich to get. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that. Head to iTunes if that's where you found the podcast or, or elsewhere if, if that's where you haven't found the podcast. Leave a rating or review. That always helps to kind of help us get the word out to more people. And we really appreciate it. If, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, sandwich orders, or a type of cake you would specifically like to have for the next episode, podcast at fr24.com. And we do read all of those emails. And sometimes Jason even thinks of a response to them. Don't tell people that. So that's where we are with that. Episode 49 in the books. Episode 50 coming up next time. We are working on some really cool stuff to have for episode 50. So I hope you'll tune in for that. And we will talk with you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks. Thanks.